0: Welcome to The Sustainable Life. This is Josh Spodek. I'm here with Oliver, you know, I've hadn't said your last name, Berkman or Berkman? Berkman. Is the E pronounced? Just
1: two syllables, no. Berkman. Yeah.
0: And I'll share briefly how I came to you and then hopefully jump right in because uh, regular listeners, especially my solo episodes, know that I listen to the son Harris, well, his podcast, but also waking up on meditation and meditation has become a big thing for me. I mean, I started in 2007 and... Uh, so you did a series in there on, which led me to, oh, and I have to mention, um, someone who works on this podcast, Conrad Ruiz, who also consults people on time management said, you've got to read this book, 4,000 weeks. It's, it's like changes everything. So glad to hear it. And I said, oh, I know that. I listened to him <laughs> and I read the book and I was like, and, and the book aug- augmented what was, well, I, I guess actually I learned some things from hearing your voice in the uh, app. Mm-hmm. And slightly different things in the book. But it was really, I mean, um, long-time readers of my stuff know that David Allen made a big impression on me and his um, getting getting things done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And actually, one of the things I've learned from my father is he once said statements about time are statements of, are really statements about value. Mm-hmm. People have time to do lots of things. It's what they choose to do. But your book just took it on a whole other level of of, um, of how to look at time ourselves, what we do. And I wonder if you could, maybe you could start with, um, could you describe where you came, how you came to this and what you did before, what brought it up?
1: Sure, I'll I'll, I'll try and do a sort of potted uh, version and not go on for forever and ever. I, I'm a journalist by training, um, spent, uh, and still am a journalist to some extent, Uh quite proud of the ways that this book is i think journalistic as well as whatever else it might be philosophical i don't know mm-hmm. uh, worked mainly for the guardian i did this one of the things i did there was to write this column uh, almost every week for a terrifying amount of time 12 13 years or something um <laughs> called this column will change your life which was I spent a lot of time explaining to people was intended sardonically but anyway um the One of the things that I did in that, it was about all sorts of stuff in the field of sort of self-help, personal development, taking a critical look at some of that stuff. But one of the things that I got to sort of indulge was my own uh, obsession with time management, productivity systems, all this kind of stuff. And I think it's partly I was sort of experimenting with some of the ideas that would go into this book. But I think a more useful way to think about that experience is it's sort of like this book is sort of what you was what i came to want to focus on what i wanted came to want to argue once i'd kind of completely exhausted that um that line of attempting to sort of sort my life out through uh through the mainstream approaches to getting more efficient and becoming more optimized and more organized and finding ways to focus on more of my get more done and all the rest of it and so there's a sort of a if you're doing some sort of more useful job in the world than writing about self help for a newspaper, you might only have time to test out three or four kind of ways of organizing your own personal time. But if that's kind of one of the things you're doing as your job, you get to try out so many that you go you get to this point of like starting to question the 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 hunt you know starting to question the quest that you're on here, yeah. and so that was my sort of personal way in to this question of sort of rethinking what time is, what it means to have uh, a finite amount of time and to be human in that situation. It was, it was sort of came from being forced by my own, the sheer volume of my own experimentation with all these kind of things to feel like there had to be another, had to be another way, I suppose. Um, So I definitely came at it through that kind of personal productivity. How do I, deal with the onslaught of emails and all the things I want to do in my life or feel I ought to be doing with my life. Um, And then sort of broadened it out into a bigger exploration of time in our culture now and all the rest of that.
0: Now, you could have just been there and thought to yourself what you just said. Mm -hmm. Writing it out is another story and making it palatable. And um, I mean, for many people, life-changing that it didn't have to I mean, I guess that's the journalist part, I guess. But even then, the journalism could be you could just tell a story. I mean, there's lots of stuff about people who try all these different techniques and yeah. they just share what happened, but they don't digest it and re what how do I put it? It's like reevaluate what's going on and change one's perspective so much. I mean, partly you draw on uh philosophers and people going back thousands of years. But there's also new stuff that you brought in that is very compelling and very intriguing and very thought provoking, not just thought provoking, but like values reconsidering provoking.
1: Tell, I mean, I don't want to tell me if this is not the point of what you're asking, but to me and for me, uh, that's just like the writing of it down and the attempting to communicate it in clear language. That just is how I um, try to understand things. I think it's pretty common uh, way that people use writing in their lives. So I'm definitely one of those people, you know, how do I know what I think until I see what I write, whatever that famous quotation is. And actually the experience of writing specifically, this book was fascinating for me looking back because I kind of had to, you're sort of writing to the extent that it's a book of advice, and I'm not sure to what extent it's a book of advice, but to the extent that it is, you're writing the advice that you know you need to hear. Um, So you do then sort of end up there's some sense I know I'm quite be able to put words on it, but there's some sense in which you have to become a different person to get to the end of a of a book project like that. And so I was definitely discovering for myself anything useful that is in that book in terms of perspective shifts that are uh, triggered in in people who read it. It's not a question of like for me anyway. It's never a question of like um, I've now figured something out. And now, as a second step, I will generously share my great insights with all uh, all you uh, all you peons or something, right? It's just literally that's the process of trying to understand it, and it's just endlessly surprising to me and really rewarding that like doing this in public seems to be really <laughs> helpful for other people, and you know, not to like sound like I'm tooting my own horn or something, but one of the nicest frequent responses to the book and to other stuff i write is like people joking about whether i've got like a surveillance chip inside their minds because it seems like it's exactly what they're thinking and i think that just comes from trying to be honest about my own neuroses difficulties struggles and and screw-ups with this stuff it turns out that uh you know a lot of us uh encounter the same broad set of challenges
0: yeah. And I think we, we encounter them. We don't share them and we feel like we can get past them. We don't. And then when we find out that someone else has gone through it, it's very, um, I mean, it feels compassionate to some extent. And yeah, you mentioned it, it does feel like it's self-help, but it's not self-help because I mean, there's a bit of advice at the end, I guess, but it's really, I mean, I'm reading it. I'm thinking I see what I have to change, but you're not saying here's what you have to change. Right. Right. It just becomes obvious
1: not obvious but yeah I think it's I mean the way I've always thought about it I don't know if this is really gets all the way there but is it's more a question of a it's more a question of a perspective shift than of any sort of you know mm-hmm. implement these techniques in your life starting tomorrow and further than that the, the nature of the perspective shift is really just comes from pointing out to the reader and to myself things that they on some level already know, right? There's no there's no new information in learning that you have limited time, that you're going to die, that you don't know when you're going to die, that, um, that your control over the future is incredibly partial. It's not a brand new thought. It's a question of pointing it out, pointing out how the effort to deny it to yourself leads to certain additional suffering in life that you maybe don't need to... to to be putting yourself through and so you know i do get some people saying like well i really liked it but how can i make sure i execute on it every day for the rest of my life what what are the tactics so there are some things that's not a totally bogus question but a big part of my what i want to say in response is like i'm just trying to help me and you sort of clear up a fog that i think gets in the way of our doing what we would do naturally and so it doesn't really seem like it's even on me to say, (laughs) like, what you should do differently. It's just like, if I can dispel a little bit for you, like I try to for me, some of the, some of the sort of avoidant fantasies and things like that, that we engage in to try to flinch from our real situation, then actually, you'll want to do meaningful things that you value. And you'll want to, you know, do all the things that matter to you. It, It won't be a question of, needing some technique on, on top of that, I think. Uh, so, yeah, that's my hunch about if it is therapeutic for people, how how it's therapeutic for them.
0: I'll add to that that I think it will also add, it, it leads one to live more calmly and less, less more in abundance. Even if I'm doing less, I'm doing more of what I care about. Right. And less of what I don't care about. So I'm not craving what I'm missing
1: yeah, that's a lovely way of putting it. I think yes, there's a there's a kind of potential misunderstanding that people can get into, and maybe if you just read the title of my book Four Thousand Weeks and figured out that I was re- referring to a human lifespan and panicked and didn't go any further. There's a there's a response to talking about limitation and in general and the sort of limits of time and shortness of life in particular, which is like, oh my goodness. Now I've got to really make sure I'm wringing value out of every minute. I've got to do totally extraordinary, unusual things and go on exciting trips multiple times a year and and, live outside the ordinary. And that's really stressful, or at least it seems to me really stressful. That's like, it's it's maybe a little bit better than falling into total despair about how meaningless life is if it's so short. But it's not a huge improvement because it's gone from sort of, you know, it's gone from one sort of unhelpful reaction to a, to a different kind which is like well okay i'm limited but i'm going to try to almost defeat the fact that i'm limited by by living this incredibly ostentatiously uh sort of extraordinary life and i hope that if you sort of see where i'm going with the book and it sounds from what you say like you do that that like that's not the point at all like the 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 this should be ultimately really relaxing and reassuring (laughs) information or this perspective shift should be something heartening Um, because it's a reminder of the limits to what we can do with our time but at the same time i hope it's a reminder of the limits of all we therefore need to do with our time instead of engaging in this constant futile struggle to do something that we can't do with our time yeah
0: I think that perspective shift parallels the Buddhist view. I and mean, Buddhist starts off by saying life is the suffering. You can't avoid it. Uh, we're going to die, but it's not about suffering and death. All right, let's acknowledge that. And then then what do we build? And we build happiness or and, and things that we find rewarding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm not a, someone to speak about Buddhism, so, <laughs> so I hope I got that you know not too far off.
1: No, well, me neither, and yet I do plenty. And I think that um... – you know, for me, recently anyway, a lot of the most powerful reflections on this have come from reading in in Zen, specifically. And again and again, you come across this observation in Zen that that our that our suffering comes from thinking that reality ought to be that there ought to be a solution to the situation in which we find ourselves as humans, right? That there ought to be a there ought to be a way out of all of this, and there's that lovely line from Jocko Beck that I quote at the beginning of the book. Um, what makes it unbearable is your mistaken belief that it can be cured. I just think I just still get spine tingles from from that line because to me it just completely uh makes the point that the the sort of unnecessary element of our pain and suffering—not that all of it is unnecessary—is is from the idea that like this situation of limitation is intrinsically something that needs to be fixed. You know, anyway.
0: When I contacted you, I mentioned that, and you mentioned the book, some things about climate and the environment. And I, I think I asked you, is this something that people contact you about? Because to me, it's like glaringly obvious how the the parallels, but I think you said people have talked to you about it, but, um, I'm going to share with you a couple of views that I had before reading your book that tell me either you're going to say that doesn't that's not that close at all but I think it might sound very parallel. Right. So I've been on roughly a 10-year path of of working on sustainability leadership. Uh, I mean I was trying to be sustainable before that but really finding the joys in it that uh, the unexpected joys in it from my first big thing that I did about ten years ago was to challenge myself to go without packaged food for a week, and I didn't think I could. I, th- I think we, I thought it would be really hard, and I ended up enjoying the experience once I learned to cook. Right. I mean, not knowing how to cook and not packaged food—that's pretty tough. But it doesn't take long to learn to cook. That mindset shift led me to look for other places where I might expect deprivation and sacrifice because that's what I'd learned, but then actually doing it wasn't. And so the next thing was. Going for a year without flying, which I thought would be horrible. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be impossible. And everyone I talked to says, Oh, maybe you can do it, but I can't because and whatever they say after that applied to me too. Right, 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 right. (laughs) You know, family and work and income and adventure and things like that. After a few months of that first year, after through after the withdrawal symptoms passed, I started finding I could I was getting more by not traveling by not flying, still traveling, but not by plane. Mm -hmm. And here's what I would say a lot. The world has too many beautiful things and there are too many amazing people for me to visit and spend time with, for me to spend time with all of them, for me to visit all these places. I just have to acknowledge I can't see everything. I can't spend time with everyone. And every time I'm in one place, I'm not in another. Every time I'm with one person, I'm not with another. So I have to realize what, what I eventually realize is my best strategy is to maximize my joy, my friendship, my the rewards I get from where I am here now yep. with who I am here now. And the big switch that happens there is that it becomes constructive rather than craving. And I have abundance rather than feeling like I'm missing out on things. If I do end up going to a distant place, I've learned to sail. I haven't made it across the Atlantic or Pacific yet, but I, I expect to. I know that that I get, but even when I just take a ride my bike to a state park, mm. I get as much out of that as I used to get from visiting North Korea. Right, right. And I'm building rather than feeling like, rather than measuring what I'm missing out on. I'm building what I have.
1: Yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, I can say more, but but you, I think you said you were going to say two different thoughts first. But no, that 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 I totally resonate with.
0: Yeah, it felt like. I was reading a book and I was like, he's had a parallel experience
1: in a different way. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I have, cause I have not given up flying. Um, uh, but it's, it really, really is. It, it's to do with this response. I mean, the whole thing, and this is obviously some bigger thing about sustainability and as well, but it's this question of the confrontation with limitation and what you do when you come into contact with that limit and, um, is it is it uh, is it Gary Snyder that famous line about the most rad- sometimes the most radical thing you can do is stay home, whatever? There's like that. That's, I don't know that. Yeah, that's what that uh-huh. line. Uh, that's what you're what you're saying makes me makes me think. And it's actually not. You know, it, it, what what I love about the way you talked about that, and that sort of excites me to do more of those things in my own life. Just hearing it is, it's not self denying in the sense that that often can mean right it isn't that it isn't that stereotype of the person who is getting some strange psychological payoff from being very austere with themselves and denying them things that, that that things that they would like it because actually once you see that there is this infinity of possible experiences to be had and a tiny tiny window of of time and attention for you to have some of them uh there's no there's no self- denial of a kind of you know, of a kind of cruel kind in finding a way to exclude you know ninety percent of those experiences from your bucket of choices. That's great that's really helpful. that's wonderful now now you can spend less time torn between this infinity of choices and more time plunging into the ones that uh, remain so it's actually like you know the idea that it's actually an act of sort of kindness towards yourself. To do that is fascinating mm-hmm. to me. And that's what I get from what you're saying. It's not actually a question of having to choose between self-gratification and, you know, being good to the planet or whatever. Uh, I really like yeah. uh, I don't know if that resonates with you, what the spin I just put on it, but that's what it, that's what it.
0: The shift becomes, what can I build? What's here now? Yeah. And I feel like constantly people say to me, you know, most people don't want to change on the scale that you have. To which I respond often, any parent has done way more than I have, has changed their life way more than I have. Any pet owner. Right. I've been to parties and people say, oh, I got to go home and walk the dog. And they're not feeling like they're missing out on a party. Right. And I mean, every baby in the world is beautiful. Every pet is adorable. But when you have your baby and your pet, suddenly they all, the others all, yeah, they're just as beautiful, but not quite as endearing. Yeah, and, and I can
1: I can testify. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah.
0: And there's... It adds to our lives not to pay attention to the other things, not detracts because we're connected.
1: It's right. Right. It focuses you on. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are saying something similar in different, in different words. It's funny because people are always looking in when it comes to sort of personal prioritization and the kind of questions I get asked from people who are in the sort of productivity space. People are always looking for heuristics to, Kind of limit their choices so that they can move forward and take action on one thing. And me too, right? It's like when there's when there's a million things that seem to need doing. You're you crave some sort of logic to say, well, a rule of thumb to to be able to choose one and and ignore the rest for now. And actually, I'd never thought of things like giving up flying or giving up large portions of what you could buy in the supermarket as, as examples of that in a way, but they totally are. They totally are. They're sort of, they're, they're nice ways to, to bring your focus back to actually, yeah, to doing some things because you're no longer trying to, uh, you know, maximize among an infinite supply of potential things to do.
0: And the, the mental shift, the mindset shift to get there is difficult in our culture because The most profitable companies are promoting, you know, telling you these things will be your life will be better with the more things you get, the more places you go, the more people you connect with on social media and so forth. You know, let's just take social media. The more people you're connected with, the more connected you are. But I I find that it's the more isolated you become. Right. And so to make that shift, it's sensical. Well, after you do it, it makes sense. Before you do it, it seems unbelievable. Actually, I'm going to shift to I'm going to go to the second way, the second thing that I mentioned. And there's two ways to come at this. A lot of people say, Josh, I don't have the time or money or resources to do some of the things that you do, like shopping at a farmer's market, for example. Uh, which if you go to the same vendor, they tend to give you free vegetables <laughs> and it tends to get cheaper. Right? cheaper. Right. <laughs> and also, I'm like, I don't want New Yorkers to, who live near me to know that because I don't want to lose my good thing. But actually, I do because if there's mispricing, then I want the pricing to work out. But then, when I do these things, I also felt that way. But when I do these things, they save time and money. Yeah. So, for example, people who say, "I don't have time to sit down to drink a cup of coffee," because I'm always talking about people walking around with their disposable coffee cups, and not that that's the biggest thing in the world, but it shows that they're not. To me, there's a disconnect between that that coffee cup is going to pollute someone's world, and to make it polluted, you know, in the making of it, but also when I see someone riding their bike, holding a disposable cup of coffee, I'm thinking they're not enjoying riding the bike and they're not enjoying the cup of coffee because you can't dodge traffic and enjoy nuance and flavor. So I think they're missing out. And when I talk to the people, I don't drink coffee, but when I talk to the people who have shifted to sitting down to drink the cup of coffee, they report in ways that they cannot explain that as a result, they have more time, not less, even though it looks like they they should have less but they actually have more my takeaway is it's this they're stopping doing the less important things and doing the more important things yeah that, which we can all do and that it's always there's some there's some huge correlation between all these knick-knack things that aren't really that important that are that they make us really busy and pollution and neglecting our effect on others so that's the other approach is, is that I feel like we live in a world in which people feel like I don't have time and I don't have money. And the people who lack the time and money most, we have to help them. We have to understand right. that they can't do these things. But McDonald's and Starbucks impoverish them. They extract value from communities. Right. They extract time and money and make them make people more dependent on them, not less. Right, right. Yeah. So this seems another approach. To, it feels like the same thing, something similar.
1: Yeah, I think so. And in my own experience, I'm not, I'm certainly no cook, but I end up cooking a lot of, uh, you know, basic evening meals in our family. And, uh, you know, a lot of convenience, I write in the book about sort of the, the deceptive lure of convenience, but a lot of convenience when it comes to food is only really convenience because you have one has forgotten how to cook and if you do it for a week or two you get so quick at it that actually it's not slower than than other things so there's a kind of there's a piece of sort of de-skilling in there as well but I think this thing about doing one thing at a time is really powerful I still haven't figured out quite how to express this like when you talk about when I talk about the importance of doing one thing at a time as a sort of a productivity technique It feels constantly in danger of either being a very banal point, which is like, yeah, obviously don't try and write an email while having a conversation with someone in the room. That's really stupid. Or a kind of unattainable point, which is that, you know, in some ways I would like to do nothing in my life now until I've finished writing the book that I'm just beginning working on. But obviously that's absurd because you have life and you have to do all the other things in your job and all the other aspects of your life. You can't really live fully sequentially in that in that sense but there's something else there's some kind of middle path here that is where kind of doing the thing you're doing more fully becomes a kind of way of life doesn't mean you're not necessarily moving fast doesn't mean you're not necess- you're necessarily leading a kind of slow or rustic life or anything like that just means that there is a kind of a commitment to being here with this rather than mainly uh on the on the next thing um and that crops up in so many different uh areas of life i think just quickly the other part of this from sort of social psychology research and stuff is there is this phenomenon about remembered time if you make time for things that you care about you have a sense of more expansive time in your life because your life is the kind where you can make time for those sorts of things, right? It's a sort of, if you if you don't feel that you can afford to go on an hour's walk in the park, but you bring yourself to do it anyway, you will be less afflicted by a sense of uh, time pressure because you're sort of demonstrating to yourself that your life does have the time for those things. So that's a bit more sort of a, that's to do with retrospective recollection of time, but it all adds up to the same thing, I think.
0: Talking to you now, I'm thinking, I was talking about time, money, resources, when we feel like, I mean, what we're talking about time feels like it applies to material resources as well. That if we feel like, I mean, certainly when I was a kid growing up, I said many times, whoever dies with the most toys wins. And I felt like more is better. And I don't like when people try to call me a minimalist because I don't consider myself a minimalist, but I definitely have less stuff now than I used to. Right, and I value what I have more than I used to, and worries about stuff as well as worries about time. When they decrease, my attention to what I'm doing, what I care about, and especially the people that I'm with in the moment, increase. Yeah, I feel like the, this is something that the the wise sages throughout history keep coming back to, and we keep losing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I don't know. I mean, I'll tell you what it's making me think, but it feels a bit tangential. So I'm happy to go off in a different avenue. But this question of sort of more, more, more in a material sense is obviously another um, is another sort of, you know, form of avoidance or denial of the truth of limitation. I think it comes back again and again for me just to this grand overall point about like there are limits that we find ourselves constrained by and you can either spend your life uh trying not to feel constrained by them and engaging in all sorts of behavior to try to not feel constrained by them or you can uh you can at least a little bit edge yourself towards feeling them and realizing that actually that doesn't that that's empowering that's a, that's a stepping stone to action it's not actually the they're not the prism that they uh felt like they were and there's an obvious parallel there i'm really going beyond my expertise but there's a very obvious parallel there with the fundamental notion of you know endless resource extraction and uh endless economic growth and the argument that you know unrestrained capitalism is essentially a giant machine for refusing to accept limits that it encounters and instrumentalizing them into fuel for its own further Growth and just that very idea that the, the sort of the future-oriented mindset that grows from that and that does seem to be more prevalent in more, uh, more broadly speaking, kind of faster-growing, faster-moving capitalist economies than in other countries. Um, that sense of always heading to uh, a promised land beyond the present, uh, where limitations won't apply. I mean, it all clearly links up. I'm not sure what I can say more than more than that. But it's all it's all part of the same topic somehow.
0: When you said it there, talking about the the limitations, and then you said there's a parallel with material things, but before you said that part, because of your book, I would think you were right. talking about time, but you actually didn't right. say the word time. I, I mean, listeners can go back and check. <laughs> and I think it. And I mean, your book. I was reading a lot of, I mean, once I started seeing how much your book felt like what I said about, um, flying, then I felt like your book could be easily just not a few words, but a lot of it shifted. Like it, it, it applies. It's this, it's very, very similar. And most people, when they hear about reducing pollution, they might not say, like I ask a lot of people, can you imagine a world in which no one pollutes? And most people can't, or if they can, at least of the, of the several hundred that I've asked, the number one answer is they can't. And next it's, well, they can think of the stone age, but stone age meaning mothers are dying, dying in childbirth and 30 years old age or some dystopic post apocalyptic hellscape. And so if you ask someone like that to, uh, avoid polluting, I mean, they might comply about the straws, but they—they they think I know where that leads. It's gonna—I'm lead, never going to see my mom again. Right. She lives on the opposite coast, and that's terrible. I don't want that. And they think about what they're losing. They think about what they're—they think about. I don't want to accept those limitations. And your view on time, as I've—or rather, the view on time that was instilled in me from your book, or inspired in me from your book, is. What do I have? How much do I have? Yeah, and that if that view, if that shift in views propagated throughout uh, people considering the environment, I think they would stop thinking about what they're missing out on and think about what they can create, and how much more they, and what more reward that will bring their
1: lives than than continuing on the path that we're on. Right. Right. I have two thoughts that just, yeah, I think that's really, really well said. And there's lots to think about there. And the nature of this form of conversation is that I'm responding right now when probably I should like take half an hour to walk around the garden and think about it. Um, I did record a podcast once where the hosts left very long silences for reflection and then edited them all out in the, uh, final, uh, broadcast. But anyway, um, yeah, the first of those is that that. I invite you. I invite you back to a second time. <laughs> well, let's let's see how we go. Yeah, the the, the let me do the free association oh, yeah. part of it, which has its use too. I think um, the first thing that makes me think about is that, like, the shift in focus there that you're talking about about what is opened up by honestly encountering limitation. It needs to be distinguished from the idea that you're some sort of, or that we are some sort of, um, you know paternalistic force coming in and saying well you know you're not going to get to see your mother on the opposite coast anymore but you'll have all these other benefits in your life to to out to offset that that problem it's rather that like yeah each one of us is going to end up making the trade-off somewhere and for countless people including very probably myself with you know sort of transatlantic life and dual citizenship and all the rest of it it probably is not going to involve uh you know giving up flying for of all all kinds for, forever uh in my case, but it's just the fact of living more consciously in the world of trade offs that counts here right it's not it's it's not that people have to exactly copy you it's that people would discover something very rich and full and meaningful in life by by approaching limitation in the same way and sure individual circumstances vary uh and it's not going to be and people's physical location varies you cut there really are, i'm sure there are plenty of places in america for sure where what you've done with food is 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 too challenging for some people to do it's not about like a prescriptive list of things it's just about living more consciously in this world of limitation and trade off and seeing what that opens up and how that liberates you rather than, you know, the moment somebody suggests anything, you're like, Oh, I see where that leads. Um, And you're living completely in that avoidant mindset of like, I can't acknowledge that I live in this world of extreme limitation and trade off where my actions uh, potentially or really sort of hurt planet and other people all the time it's just like yeah own the fact that that is what it means to be a human and then start making the wisest decisions you can for you in that position i think you know that would that on its own would lead to uh a transformatively different way of being even if you know even if the measured decision that some people came to was that they do actually want to go and see their mother on the opposite coast uh now and again um that was, I'm sure I had another thought, but that's the main one. So I'll stop there. See if you have anything to say about it. <laughs> Y'all keep reassociating associating as well. That if the
0: limitation to, to live sustainably or to say you can't do everything is not imposing limitation. Exactly. The limitation yep. was already there. Yeah, yeah. It's acknowledging it. And even if I say, of those 10 things you wanted to do, let's say there's a, so when I hear bucket list, I have right. craving, but say someone thinks that they got, they got a bucket list with 50 items on it, 50 places on it. And I say, you can't go to all 50 places. Even if you, you know, no matter what, you can't possibly go. And the faster you go to each of them, the less spending, right. the less you're spending time in each of them. If I whittle it down and to a smaller number, or if, I mean, if I, if, if talking to me leads them to whittle it down to a smaller number, even that 50 was, it's still less than actually – if, if they could live in an infinitely long time, they'd right. go to an infinite number of places. So whatever they whittle it down to, it's still compared to infinity. Yeah. It's still compared to a huge number. And even if – now someone might say, well, I'd still like to get as much of infinity as I can. But even <laughs> 50 compared to infinity is really small.
1: <laughs> that does not make sense when you stop to think about it, though, does it, right? A, you don't get any closer to the yeah. end of infinity by, uh, by doubling your – your experiences or tripling your experiences. Yeah.
0: And if you're looking at it only from that way, then you miss what you get when you acknowledge and deliberately choose based on what's most important to me. So let's just say you lose 40 of those places, but you gain self-awareness, uh, deliberate uh, and connection, the value and meaning and purpose of, with the things that you do connect with. Yeah. And that gain is more than worth the I can't even say what you lose because you're not actually right, losing anything.
1: Right, right. You're
0: losing the mirage the mirage of what you've lost. Yeah.
1: No, absolutely. And you have you know, you have you have the number of moments, however you measure a moment, that you will have. And we're just talking about the quality of them, really. Quality of them for you and for yes. people around you and the world, whatever. Um so that's sort of fixed. It's fixed in a way that none of us know how fixed exactly where the end is going to come for each of us. But but it's basically fixed. And we're just sort of uh, changing the contents and color and texture of that, of that fixed amount instead of uh, somehow managing to, you know, somehow managing to expand it. Uh, that was what I was going to say about the other point I was going to say about what you said where, you know, um, I didn't mention the word time in a in a remark in a in a reply I gave here and, and um various parts of my book could be about other things with only a small amount of change. And I think that's completely consonant with my experience of writing that book. I mean and my previous book actually, but all I'm all I'm doing really is trying to find a coherent or coherence giving frame for a book that, you know, if I didn't care about selling any copies of it could just be called something like uh, you know, my my current life philosophy as it stands right now. You know, it's like it's like, of course it's about everything. And a time is a class is a really obvious example of a of a focus that isn't really a focus because I think it's a helpful focus from the point of view of making a book coherent and, and readable. But clearly you don't really exclude anything if you are only including those things that unfold in time, right? I mean, that's everything. So uh, I think mm-hmm. that, and plus, if you sort of follow my conclusions in the book to the idea that we sort of that we sort of are time rather than that we have time, that time is just a sort of one way of understanding the, our the experience of our unfolding lives, then yeah, there's nothing that doesn't come into that. Uh, frame and my my problem and challenge as a writer is always trying to come up with ideas to write about that that don't uh, encompass literally everything on the planet because then you can't really write in a <laughs> coherent way. Uh, other people have the opposite problem, but um, so really, I'm quite honest about this. Time is a time is a sort of framing device, and the whole thing about productivity and time management techniques and personal productivity is a is my way into it and it's the it's the path that i took and it's definitely resonates with a whole bunch of other productivity geeks out there but it's like one of an infinite number of ways into that same subject matter
0: now it feels like the difference between sitting down and enjoying a cup of coffee versus it's much more productive to get the coffee and ride your bike to a place and drink the coffee while riding the bike. Right. You get two things done. But to what end, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Right, yeah. That's yeah. Which way do you want to live your life? I There's a scene in uh, in Goodfellas. I, have you seen Goodfellas, the movie?
1: Yeah, a long time ago. So You know the
0: scene with the the helicopter at the end when he's like, the, the cops are onto him and they're kind of following yeah. him and his yeah. wife yeah. pours the cocaine down the toilet. Yeah. And that scene, I mean, it... I mean, Scorsese's brilliant. It, I, you, you're in the moment. You're like, I know that feeling. I know yeah. of like, I can get everything done. I'll just, and the more I get done, the more smooth I feel and the more accomplished and it feels so great. And it's not a particularly rewarding way to live. Right. But in the moment, it feels so great. And yeah. that, the contrast is to, um, I'm just trying to think of like the opposite of that is, do you know James Rebanks? He's an, a British author I've had on the podcast. He was in the
1: Lake District. Yeah, I feel like I've got one of his books like within two feet of me here, but not. I think I pastoral life or yeah, um, yeah, yeah.
0: shepherds, shepherds' life, pastoral song. Yeah, I think they're different in. I think they're different titles in England. But uh, yeah, I
1: think one of them may have the word English in it in a way that it, they took out for the non UK yeah. market or something. But anyway, yes, yeah.
0: He had this. Uh, this he recognize he he. Thought he had to modernize his farm and he spent some time in Australia and saw like huge expanses of farmland and came back and tried to make his farm more productive and you know like, stared into the abyss of like what is this actually going to lead to and came back, stepped back from that and made his return. I, I, this is just off the top of my head, so it's not fresh in my memory, but that he went back to how things were before and not monocropping and not big combines, but yeah. restoring the, and it suddenly like, it didn't take long if I remember right, when he stepped back that the, the abundance of wildlife, not, not exactly wildlife, I mean, some wildlife, but diversity, biodiversity started increasing again.
1: Yes.
0: And we as a society could do that as well, but it's tough if everyone feels like every step yeah. of that
1: is going to be like pulling teeth well, this is, right, this is the, yeah, I mean, um, there's some line somewhere in, I think, in Wendell Berry, it's an obvious person to bring into a conversation like this, I know, but about um, limitation as the sort of premise of fullness and meaning, and that you, it's not actually a constraint really at all, it's the sort of, there's all these kind of metaphors of, uh, Sort of weaving and how you need things to be kept constrained and within taught lines and, and all the rest of it. But um I think something that's really important to emphasize here just on that when it comes to the sort of personal practice of this stuff and something I have to keep reminding myself of is the, you're right to talk about how quickly these sort of rewards come from voluntarily stepping into this world of limitation whether as a sounds like it was pretty quick for james rebanks as a farmer as well but just you know just on a day-to-day basis of one's ordinary life very swiftly it's it feels rewarding and it feels sort of there's a richness and a uh a texture to life when you sort of fall back into it in that way but it almost never feels great for the first like yeah moment Scary. Yeah. And and it doesn't feel great for the first like week if you're talking about a new completely new way of living. And it doesn't feel great for the first three minutes if you're sitting down to do a, a meditation. Right. And there's good reason for that. We are completely conditioned to the opposite way of for the opposite way of, of being. And I'm just struck again and again. I'm getting better at it, but I'm struck again and again by sort of how little, how low grade the threat of a little discomfort needs to be to sort of completely put me off that Mm. that line of of activity altogether. And for me, it just comes up in sort of distraction all the time, right? It's like the level of sort of, uh, I guess it's dukkha, isn't it? The level of suffering that I need to be experiencing for it to be calming and numbing to go onto social media or web surfing is so low as to absolutely not really be worthy of the word suffering. It's just like the... I know that some other some other translations of that of that uh, word in Buddhism are more like sort of bothersomeness or unsatisfyingness, and it's really interesting. It's such a useful skill that I am still absolutely developing uh, to be able to ride out that that incredibly minor, uh, incredibly minor sense of something being kind of uncomfortable and unpleasant to do and the rewards are so much bigger and so quick, quickly delivered. But you know, you do have to have a certain willingness to put yourself through something. It's not completely absent from the experience. For most people, I think, anyway, or at least for me, it's not instantly delightful to pursue the way of being that you're talking about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the way I put it is you do have to go through a bit of withdrawal. Right. And maybe it's not on the level of kicking heroin, but <laughs> there's still something there. Yeah. Uh, you said something that reminded me of uh, um, the Wendell Berry. There's something that Jocko Willink, I, I don't know if you know him, if you've met him yet. but uh, No, but I know, I know who he is, yeah. Okay, the Navy SEAL, former Navy yeah. SEAL. And he says, discipline equals freedom. And discipline, for if, before you get it, discipline seems like the opposite of freedom. You're, you're holding yourself back from things, but that's what it creates it. Now, there's another thing that you said that actually, okay, so the, the mindset shift seems equally big in terms of time and productivity versus the environment and, and, um, bucket lists. But the discomfort of wreck of the shift in how you spend your time, there's something on a whole other scale on sustainability. Because if you, if I'm doing something that pollutes, And I believe what I do doesn't matter. I can't change anything. I'm powerless. Then, if I do make that shift and I find that it it improves my life, to say not get the coffee cup or to uh, not turn on the air conditioner and keep it to, um, sorry, I got to use Fahrenheit, but like you know, keep it in the in the winter to seventy-two or seventy-four degrees. Mm And then I realized, oh, 68 degrees is fine, yeah. or even 65 degrees is fine. And actually, when I put on the sweater, I feel better. Well, then I realize, not just that I could live my life differently, but I've been hurting people. Suddenly, when I learn about the pollution, what happens to people on the other side of the world, you know, getting kicked off their land for the fuel to drive my, my, uh, my heater,
1: mm-hmm.
0: suddenly it's not just I'm uncomfortable with how, how I've been spending my time but how I've been hurting others Mm -hmm. and that's going to be guilt and shame. And that's not, those are pretty serious things that we try to avoid feeling. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bigger hurdle. I mean, but, but, but what you said about the difference of what, what's on the other side of it is more than worth it.
1: Yeah. It's just a a bigger hurdle. You're right. And you know, I think that I, I think I may uh, candidly be in a greater state of denial with that kind of thing, which is what you'd expect, right? You expect to be in a greater state of denial with the, the worst feelings to feel yeah um, uh, with respect to that, because I do find that you know my own efforts to live more sustainably such as they are it's very hard for me to sustain the momentum with them uh, in a way that it isn't with these kind of daily time related changes that i've uh, that I've been discussing, and I think that that probably does come from. If if you think that you're doing something good, uh, ethically good, just because you want to start being a nicer person or something, that is a very, that's an incredibly flimsy uh, motivation. And frankly, it's probably just helping keep some of that uh, guilt and shame at bay, right? It's like, it's just sort of plastering over it. And I think that I'm sure that the people who are the the most sort of authentic at living in a more environmentally sustainable way and, and benefiting personally from it in terms of their quality of experience are the ones who have to some extent been more fully through that, that anxiety and guilt, that that guilt and shame, sorry, sounds like maybe you have, uh, and sort of come out on the other side of it more. Because if you Because it's that sort of encounter with the shadow, right, that needs to happen, uh, to use sort of Jungian language, I guess, uh, needs to happen a bit for these things to sort of be rich enough and understood on a deep enough level to stick. And in my case, with the time management stuff, that was a matter of seeing at least somewhat more clearly what I had been using all this stuff for in terms of an underlying emotional agenda understanding myself more on a sort of psychotherapeutic level uh and and that's the only way that you can like really start to take its hooks out of you if if you're just saying well like these time management systems don't seem to be getting me the the to the outcomes that i want uh but i'm not prepared to look at the uh the the sort of unacceptable emotions that are under underneath them then all you'll do is um try to find a different time management technique and carry on cycling through this stuff uh forever so i think that's a really interesting point i hadn't thought about i hadn't thought about the psychological connection in the same way and yes i can see it's a bigger it's a bigger lift if what you're talking about is uh you know sort of active damage to the livelihoods of other people instead of just uh Failing to reply to their emails in a timely fashion
0: <laughs> yeah we're the intrinsic versus extrinsic motivation is is the way I tend to frame it if right. if I do it just because someone said you know don't destroy the earth, avoid straws that 's different than well uh, we're coming up on a, coming up on an hour, so um, i 've developed in this podcast what 's now called the Spotic method, which is a way to walk people through acting or sharing their, their values on the environment okay. and acting on them instead of acting on, you know, acting on something intrinsic.
1: Okay.
0: And I'm kind of running through it in my head and wondering if it would apply to time as well and productivity. And there's also this before we hit record, you talked about how people uh, write you who talk about sustainability. Why do you, why do you bring that up?
1: It's, it's not in our political view and I wanted to engage on that and, yeah, we, I've got a few more minutes. I mean, I'm not, if that works for you. Yeah. I don't, if you, if you, you maybe don't want to start in on something that's, that would take another hour to get through, but, but I, I don't have to go this second.
0: Okay. So the Spodek method would probably be like 20 minutes. So, um, if oh, what came- the hell? Let's do it. Okay. If we're, <laughs> if we're
1: finishing at 3.20, I'm here. Yeah. Fine. I'm okay. interested. I'm too, I'm too curious. <laughs> okay. So let me just quickly re- respond to what you raised there in case people are interested about yeah. the reader response. I think that, um, this book has—I've uh, been really, um, to my great sort of surprise and gratification—it's gone, it's, it's spread a long way, and it's certainly spread out of my sort of more uh, broadly liberal, lefty, progressive-ish kind of milieu to other places. It's, it's resonated with a lot of people from a Christian perspective, and resonated with a lot of people who I think are probably I would would class themselves as as conservative because conservatism in at least in one form uh is is a place we should be looking for wisdom about limitation and living with not not sort of you know radical right-wingery of the kind that has been dominant in american politics in the last few years but conservatism of some kind like should be an ally in this thing and it's fascinating i think people who have Cons- what they think of as conservative values often do have a real appreciation for the roles of limitation and for living within s- limitation and for resisting that sort of pathology of progressivism, which is to feel that you can remake the whole world uh through, through political institutions. But because of the culture in which those people very often are these days, they're also people who sometimes email me and sort of say like, why do you have to mention all that climate change nonsense, you know? So there's an interesting pushback there but I I'm kind of still happy that the book is getting into their to their hands and you know it's not a book about climate change so actually you can sort of ignore those paragraphs and still and still it still makes sense as a book but um so yeah that that was that was that basically All right here I am I'm going to take a risk and and say why I think
0: that they uh conservatism and sustainability is that I'm scared to I'm going to say it if you want to take a uh, continue we can if not we can leave it but um uh I mean even the most Milton Friedman will say you know there's a, a major role for government to protect life liberty and property and or Reagan might say uh to make a level playing field for mm-hmm. innovators to solve the problems uh and pollution fundamentally destroys life liberty and property mm mm-hmm. In this country, we once had a, a constitution that said you could both that we had to protect life, liberty, and property, and we had to defend the rights of those who would take away others' life, liberty, and property. Yeah, yeah. And we had a war over that. And to excise the part where you you can't have enslaved anymore, mm-hmm. but we can destroy life, liberty, and property. You cannot pollute without destroying life, liberty, and property. And mm-hmm. if you talk about free trade, if I you know if I, if I make uh, something really well, so well that you're willing to pay for it. And I value your money more than my thing that I made and you value the thing more than your money and we trade that, you know, everyone benefits. That's good. Yep. So profit is a proxy for good. But if someone's not consenting to that, that proxy never, doesn't work anymore. So slavery would be yep. an obvious case where if someone doesn't consent to give their labor, that's not necessarily yep. more profit doesn't mean more good. More growth ex- exacerbates not good. Yeah. Well, if there's pollution, if, I, if you and I made a, make a trade, but someone else suffers and get, you know has birth defects, That's not – growth in good is – profit is not a proxy for good anymore. Right. But if you take away – in the past, we took away slavery. Mm -hmm. I think we've mostly taken away child labor. I mean, slavery still exists. Yeah. So – No, but you can make – one can make
1: progress in these areas. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah, And so pollution fundamentally opposes life, liberty, and property. A a government that has to protect life, liberty, and property, I don't see how you can have both. It seems to me the conservative libertarian ideals – Seem very consistent with doing away with pollution.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, I think a lot of this. Now, I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about really when it comes to American political cultures, but I I do think that some of this turns into uh, and the sort of the extraordinary centrifugal force of polarization means that means that these things get disconnected from the logic of people's positions and they just become symbols of two sides in a dispute i've got no idea what that whole um what i should be thinking in rational terms about that whole um minor frenzy you guys just had over there about gas stoves i've got absolutely no idea all i know uh, i've got a gas stove here all i know is that within about 24 hours of the story existing you had to believe one thing if you were on the on one side of the partisan divide and another thing on the other side and so i think these things just like they just get completely sometimes anyway suck dry of any sort of real arguments and they turn in so i think in in that sense i think that you know there are many there are cultural milieu in american politics and to some extent in british politics where like you're just marking yourself out as the out group if you're talking about sustainability it's got nothing. that's totally consistent with the idea that you going and chatting with that person in a in a cafe could cause them to see the connection between their own values and that, and that focus. Anyway, anyway. You've
0: highlighted something I'm going to use for... I, I'm, I'm working on my book, and I, sometime in the future, I'll come back and thank you for what you just said and how that <laughs> clarified something that I have to put in. I'm going to jump to the Spodek method. Yeah, please. So is the environment something that you've, that you've acted on in some way? Is it something you care about enough to have acted on? In some way, yes, absolutely. When you think about the environment... What do you think about uh, your personal experience in nature?
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: not what you've read about in the paper. Right. Like when you're in nature, I mean, picture yourself in nature and some time in your life that was like a yeah. maybe transcendent, but you know, quintessential moment. Like, mm-hmm. what is it? For, can you think of times like that?
1: Yeah, and very recently I absolutely can because we now live surrounded by it and it's, it's new for me, but I'm out in a, a landscape that I passionately love for almost you know, usually an hour or two every day at the moment. Yeah. and did you grow up in that in that with access to something like that? Yeah, I did. I grew up in a suburban area, but it was with easy access to this area, so about an hour away from where I grew up. Now, yeah. All
0: right. So when you say this, wh- what is it like?
1: Put if you're there, what do you see? What do you smell? What do you what do you hear? Uh, it's sort of maybe this is an insufficiently sensory response, but it's uh, it's moorland. It's sort of it's pretty bleak, wide open, uh, somewhat kind of windswept uh moorland it's a former there are the sort of um uh, there's the sort of artifacts of a of a iron mining in ironstone mining industry that that hasn't been around for a good century so um uh and then there are lots of lots of sheep and uh a very large number of pheasants that are basically artificially bred into this for recreational shooting industry which is my one of my least favorite parts of being around here and, um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's sheep farming.
0: There's something I have to get clarification on. When you said, you said bleak and artificial, which normally I think of as not
1: what would I be say artificial? enjoyable.
0: Uh, you, the artificial was about the, the, the pheasants were brought in artificially.
1: Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Forget about the pheasants for a moment because I really do think that they are, um, I mean, the pheasants are fine, but the, the specific nature of that recreational shooting industry annoys me a lot because it's, I, I don't i'm not particularly opposed to hunting per se but um something about having uh the birds that you're hunting sort of stage managed into your into your uh into one small field so it's easy to kill them all with your gun seems to me uh, to break some kind of Mm. contract with the with wild nature um no it's bleak it's um by bleak i just mean it's sort of it's exposed it, there are some beautiful forests not far from here but it's basically it's not pastoral is the phrase i would use to think of the kind of landscapes of southern uh, england which are sort of very sort of rolling and pretty it's more um forbidding than that uh if you've read wuthering heights uh it's um it's that kind of it's the kind of landscape evoked in, in that book.
0: When you're out there in it, what emotions do you feel? What's the experience of it?
1: I feel uh, I feel small in a good way. That's that's one way that I often think about this. Um there's something this I don't want to fly off into theory, but there is something sort of unyielding <laughs> about it that I find very um that feels good for me. Uh, it's, yeah, I think awe is a word I would use. Um, and then it just sort of, you know, being in a sort of windy and bleak area just, just feels also like it kind of um, blows away the mental cobwebs somehow. And I do feel a... I feel an affinity... I feel close to the land in some way that I'm not sure I really can be honestly say that I feel a deep camaraderie with the farmers who work the land or um anything like that it's just like it's just a sort of a sense of belonging in this land this specific landscape um yeah a few words
0: based on what you said these emotions of i mean the first thing i heard was small in a good way yeah and belonging um awe i invite you uh, this is at your option to think of something you could do to manifest those feelings, to bring them about. I mean, you already go out, it sounds like you already take walks almost daily yeah. in, in this. Something you can do, a different thing that will also create those emotions or those feelings or the feelings that nature brings to you. And with three and and I gotta clarify something I'm not saying. I'm not saying what's something you can do to help the environment. Right. That may happen, but it's really for you to bring about another instance of of this. It could be exactly the same or it could be slightly different with three constraints something you're not already doing, Mm -hmm. something that you have to do it yourself. It can't be like, oh, I'll get someone else to do it. Right. And some physical component. So not watching a documentary or reading a book. Right. But something, and so that after you've done it, you can look back and say, in some non zero sense, I've left things better than I found it.
1: And can it be explicitly about the, the the landscape, even though it doesn't have to be about helping the environment, or should it be about some other domain of my life?
0: It can be any domain. Right. Ideally, it's conjuring up or manifesting
1: these emotions
0: or emotions that come from this environmental experience just from some other place than what you're already getting it. Right. Huh. Want to give it a shot? I mean, most people at this point have a sense of like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, They don't yeah. yet. It, it takes a few minutes of going back and
1: forth. Yeah, I'm interested because the first thing that comes to my mind is that – well, two things come to my mind at the same time. One is that there are sort of ways in which I could be a more active steward of this landscape that I would enjoy. The national, we're in a national park area here. It's a, The national park is a different concept, as you may know, in, in the UK from the US. So people live and work inside the national parks, but um, there is a – it's easy to get involved in – volunteering to maintain the land in various ways and i've thought about doing it and not quite done it that very much obviously uh, that would feel like going deeper into what i've mentioned but it's obviously in exactly the same uh domain and then when i but the other thing that i think is that when i think about well how would you recreate that in the in like my domestic life or the work the writing work that i do or one of these other domains of my life right family uh professional things there i sort of instantly hit a brick wall because it doesn't seem like it, it doesn't seem uh the question doesn't quite make sense to me in that context
0: well i can tell you of the two things you said the first one if you augment something, I, I've done this with a lot of people before. Yeah, and yeah. And if you take one area and do more than you were doing, that does, I found through experience that that does qualify. That does get the experience. So if you currently, I'm not sure if passively is the right way, but if you walk through and just observe yep. and you switch that or you augment that to and you do something in stewardship, Yeah. either solo on your own or it sounds like there's organizations that, that you could combine with
1: to... Yeah, you go out and fix... Fix gates and paths, and you know, stop erosion in small ways and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's lots to be done.
0: So if you did some of those things, yeah, that would qualify because it's it would be something you're not already doing. It would be something that you're doing yourself, and it would be something that it sounds like you afterward you'd be you'd look at the fixed gate or whatever they had you do, and you'd say that would be better. Yeah. And with regard to the second thing, experience tells me that when people do these things for their reasons the other stuff that you'll find answers through doing things that you couldn't through just speculating. Yeah. There's something fundamentally different through experience. So if you're wondering how can I involve this, my, how can I do, how can I bring stuff like this to family or how can I bring family to this Mm -hmm. or combine them in
1: some sense? I bet it will become obvious. I could be wrong. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. It's funny because actually now that I stop me if I'm going off, off route here, but it's, 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 um, one of the things that I th- think is probably going on when I'm in a very um, absorbed situation in the landscape around here is that my sort of attentional bandwidth is is filled completely in a way that, uh, you know, it's not that one doesn't also daydream and have thoughts about work and things like that. But it's that it's that there's, there isn't that sense that we've been talking about in this conversation about being sort of, you know, riding your bike while drinking the coffee or whatever. There's a sense of like, there's a unitary sense of what you're doing. And that is something that I struggle to maintain in my sort of, you know, in my work sitting at a laptop. So I, I, I'm interested in, it's making me think that maybe there's a parallel there. That's a very sort of, it's very self-interested in the, in the immediate term. But like to be able to feel some of what I feel in nature when doing things that I do at a laptop would obviously be a to be able to feel that more often would obviously be great I do get it when I'm deep in flow in writing but not the rest of the time and and you're triggering ideas for that in me to put into practice because because I can see like what I think is going on in the in the other context um, and it's to do with how you relate to your environment it's to do with there's that very subtle feeling when you're when you're doing sort of when you're crunching through a to do list that what you're doing is is trying to dominate the situation, and that is what is very absent in the in the walk on the moors context. There's no sense of that there. Yeah,
0: Yeah. stewardship and domination are. <laughs> it's funny because in in um, you shall have dominion over all the earth. People sometimes translate <laughs> as dominate, and some some people dominate it translate as stewardship, and it's like almost right. yes. Now I think that the wistfulness, if that's the right word, or the way that you're thinking about it. We could pursue it here, but I think that in the doing, it'll it'll eclipse anything that we speculate about. Right. So I propose the next step would be to make it a smart goal: specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time bound. Yep. And then to see if you're game to come back and share what the experience was like. If if you're up for doing it, would you be game to? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally. This I love this kind of thing. Yeah. No. This is um. I'm this question of going from thinking about things to doing them is not in a sustainability context particularly of course but like is essentially the topic of the book i'm trying to start working on now so i'm i'm super interested uh for multiple reasons uh in uh in engaging in anything that sort of uh that is focused on that sure
0: yeah i feel like um what you said is heartwarming and and more uh that it resonates especially for how much your book resonated the uh, 4000 weeks resonated with me but let's, let's finish it out. What, what would you, what could you commit to in uh, specific measurable and, and how long would it take before, if we spoke about it again and I said, how did it go? You know, you don't have to finish everything, but you know, to have, to be able mm-hmm. to say how it went.
1: Uh, well, I think first of all, about what I said about the, the uh, about finally doing instead of wanting to do and not doing the, the national park volunteering, I do not know the answer to the time frame there. I suspect that um you know it would I'm sure it could be within a within a month from now that uh that I had done that uh in some form I that some of these things are surprisingly oversubscribed so it's not entirely obvious that that would be the case but I think it probably would be I'm I'm interested I'm strug, I'm interested to think and struggling to think about how to operationalize this in the context of uh the ongoing challenge of bringing this spirit to to um, work to desk based well oh, that'll come work which is
0: that i think will come in the doing like
1: yeah yeah
0: whatever you think of and when you said these things are oversubscribed i'm just picturing you shoving someone out of the way i'm going to fix this fence
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, right okay so there's no smart goal then in the other domain because that's if it's going to, if it comes from I'm. I have some skepticism about the smart uh, approach, and I and here that seems to be an example of that, right? It's like you're saying that the clarity around this comes from putting it into practice. Well, what I find is that whereas smart seems to demand that I already know what the where it is that I'm.
0: Yeah, I guess the smart. What I what I find is that if someone says I'm going to do this isn't what you said, but some people say I'm going to eat less meat. So eating less meat is. It's much easier to say I'm going to go for one week not having any meat after noon, or before noon, or right. that like that's much easier to do. So I'm trying to make it something more practical. That's the goal here, is because I yeah. I know that it will. Yeah, because it's coming from intrinsic motivation. You're you're talking about have, taking thoughts and reducing it to practice. And specifically, it's first to go for intrinsic to elicit the intrinsic motivations.
1: Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, so I let's say that what I think um I'm talking about here in the domain of work is is to do with that unitary focus. It is to do with that sense of yeah. Yeah, I wonder how I would turn that into a time-bound action. First thought I have is that I can get back on the darn wagon with my meditation practice. Maybe that's the answer. That can certainly be smart goalified, can't it? I'm picturing you meditating, to, uh, surrounded by sheep,
0: wind less, sweeping over.
1: Less sporadic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm at a loss in that in this uh, translation of these ideas from the from the one that you from uh, the one that we started with to the one that I moved it onto.
0: What I heard. And I, I don't mean to be.
1: Give me a suggestion if you if that's part of this process. If I
0: yeah, I'll try to take some things that you said and put them together, and that might yeah that might trigger like a specific thing. Um, it was an act of stewardship in the land or community, and if you committed to that, and we spoke in one month, I predict that within that month you would have either gone online and found the community, or gone to something, or met the person that you've been meaning to Mm. and maybe if it was you don't know specifically what you'll do but maybe you know the right person to talk to or the right resource to consult yeah and if if it's to talk to the person go to the organization figure something out and talk about how it went in a month yeah you know so the the month would force you or you know give you some accountability
1: yeah definitely
0: and then if it was fix offense, it's fix offense. If they tell you it's pick up litter, it's pick up litter, but it's whatever that they... Yeah, yeah. And then if you find out, well, that was dumb, but it points you to something else.
1: Yeah, that's still useful. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and that'll be part of the story.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: So after we stop recording, can we stay on for a second and like get calendars out and schedule a second conversation? Sure. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah,
0: I'll do that. Yeah, why not? So this is what... I mean, that was the Spodek method. What does the environment mean to you? Okay. I invite you to think of something to do to act on it, on the emotions, you know, not the, uh, to manifest those emotions. Right. And then reduce it to practice and set a time to talk about it again. Mm-hmm. And this can be iterated multiple times because it tends to grow. Sure, right. And it can be done. I, I do it with workshops and groups and, and like people start seeing others doing it and they start feeling like, oh, I want to talk about my thing and I want to, Mm-hmm. And, um, but to me, the heart and soul of it is when it kills me that almost all the instruction on sustainability is extrinsically motivated and Bangladesh is going to be underwater. And here's what you have to do, right? This turtle has a straw in its nose. Here's what you have to do. Yeah. And it discourages us from connecting with you walking in the moorland is not going to help anyone and if you say this is my connection with nature this is me doing something then people are going to say that doesn't scale that doesn't help anyone yes. and yet if that's what motivates you right if they cut out your intrinsic motivation what's the point right and if we as a culture have lost our connection to nature we don't know what we're missing
1: and it brings it all the way back around to time as well because if it's in if it's extrinsically motivated it's another thing that i have to do yes. in a in an overwhelmed schedule, whereas um, if this if there's truth in this way that you're outlining, which it seems there there really is it's a way of either making it something I already a different version of something I already want to do or it's something that I would want to do anyway as a priority with my time, so yeah, it's an important way of. It's that that sense that people have of like, now you're just coming and giving me a list of fifteen other things I've got to do is this like it's is death for these kinds of and things, I think. Yeah.
0: So many people, when I talk about this, they say, look, I can't do anything more. I'm I'm already doing all I can. The New York Times gave me a list of five of, of ten things. I'm doing five. I'm one of the good guys. <laughs> I don't have time for the others. I'm already balanced. Yeah. It's like as if I said to them, you know, change your baby's diaper every time it needs changing. And they're like, look, I'll do it half the time. Okay. Right. You're going to like it, you know, it, yeah. And yeah, this, all this extrinsically motivated stuff or what I call management as opposed to leadership is right. Yeah. Making people think like, just do five and you're done. Actually, I do this. I do this a lot of times in groups. And if there's an odd number of people when I have people pair up and do it with each other, Mm-hmm. people often um, if there's a number someone pairs up with me and at first I thought oh how many times can I get paired up with someone because if they're practicing it with me I'm, I'm going to have to come up with more and more things yeah what I'm finding is that the more I do it the more I find new things to do yeah there's not a finite list there's right it's a skill that
1: I learned quantity is how you get to quality or whatever that phrase that you're remembering yeah right
0: yeah Oliver Berkman thank you very much thank you it's been a pleasure How many people are bringing a message of joy from what everyone calls saving the environment, but I call the future? Step by step, this podcast is creating a culture of joy, community, and connection around sharing and acting on our environmental values. Again, there's no profit in buying and wasting less, but we'll all love our lives and relationships more when we do. I can use your support. Please donate at joshuaspodick.com slash donate. Again, that's joshuaspodick.com slash donate.